to those of you at home tuning in. Welcome. Sorry you can't be here with us. We miss you. We hope that you, we, we hope to see you soon. We hope whatever's ailing you, whatever's uh, bothering you, however, whatever reason you couldn't make, maybe you had a flat tire or your cat's sick, I don't know. However you're not here, we miss you. We look forward to seeing you soon. Are there any visitors here today? Uh, do I see any visitors here? We want to we want to see you. We want to recognize you. I don't see any. Maybe there's some at home online. Uh, welcome if it's your first time. We are the Evangelical Free Church of Orville, and uh, I love this place. I love my family here, and I'm I'm really glad to see all of you this morning. Um, if everybody could please stand for our for our opening scriptures. Um, so we're going to be reading from Psalm 40, verses 1 through 5. And the word of God says, and you know what, how many of us can say the same as what David says here in Psalm 40? How many of us can say, I can, I can read this personally. I hope that you find yourself in the Lord and can read this personally. Let's rejoice together. I waited patient, patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, he does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them. Yet they are more than can be told. Father in heaven, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Most importantly, thank you for your son. It is because of him that you have changed us. You have inclined your ear to us. You hear us. Thank you. We are not alone. You dwell in the hearts of your people. Thank you. Thank you. May all we do here today, may all we do be a blessing to you. May you hear our joy. May you hear our thankfulness. May you hear our need of a Savior. And thank you so much for providing that need in our Lord Jesus. Amen. I would ask that you remain standing. Yes, we all do have needs. And you know what? I find it, I find it interesting that when my needs line up with what God wants, life's pretty good. It's easy. Sometimes I have to question my needs because sometimes what I think are my needs is not maybe what God wants. Here's three little things we're going to sing about and take my life. Holiness, faithfulness, and righteousness. We can have that through Christ, so let's sing this together. made a really big mistake key. here. Let's sing it out, church. 
righteousness. Righteousness is what I long for. Righteousness is what I need. Righteousness, righteousness is what you want from me. So take my Say hello to somebody. Say hello to a neighbor. And uh, don't stray too far now, sheep, because we got to come back and sing another song. lovely. I love to hear the buzzing of God's people going around. I love it. I love to hear it. If we could work our way back to where we were standing before and please remain standing as we sing yet our second song, Freely, 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 Freely. Well, I can't get that close, Lorna, because... My beard tickles my face because it hits the microphone. Just yell. I'll, I'll try to be as good as I can. You guys, you be, I want to hear you. I want to hear you guys. We are blessed when we hear you sing. All right. Freely, freely. God forgave my sin in Jesus name I've been born again in Jesus name Jesus' name, I come. 
said freely, freely you have received, freely, freely give. Go in my name and because you Above all power, above all kings, above all nature and all created things, above all wisdom and all the ways of man, you were here before the world began, above all kings. Rejected and alone like a rose Trampled on the ground You took the fall And thought of me Above all One more time there Crucified Laid behind the stone You did to die Rejected and alone like a rose, trampled on the ground, you took the fall and thought of me above all. Praise God, church. Praise God. Mic check, mic check, mic is on. Good morning, everybody. Greetings. Glad everybody's here. What a blessing it is to be up here in front of such a beautiful, amazing church. Uh, this church never ceases to amaze me. Um, the fruit of this church, I mean, it's pretty evident just looking around. You. I mean, look around you. You see the beauty around you. You see the faithfulness around you. You see the service around you. These people in this church are amazing. You can see the fruit in the, the school here, Orville Christian School. That's the fruit of this church. And this school is just blossoming and growing. It's such a huge blessing. And you can see the fruit of this church in the fall festival that we just had. What an amazing event that was. What a great turnout. Some 
200 to 300 people showed up, all those kids running around, people in this church serving, standing there at all these booths and just helping out those kids, giving out candy, all the candy that was donated by people here at this church. Uh, We are just truly blessed to have such a church that serves and loves and takes care of people. Um, And just standing here, I'm just honored to be a part of this church, Uh, and and that's sincere. Um, Some announcements today. We have an alive and thriving church, so we have multiple announcements. So we'll start off with, don't forget to stay after church today. Uh, at the 11 o'clock hour, we have a church family meeting. We're going to talk about the business of the church and talk about how uh, things are going. So stay. Uh, it's a good thing. Oh, I almost forgot to greet the people online. People online, we haven't forgotten about you. We love you. We miss you. Um, we pray for you regularly. When you can get here, that would be great. But um, it's a blessing to be able to, to stream you in here as well. So we love you. Also, don't forget that you have your attendance forms in your rows there. Fill those out just to let us know that, uh, that you're here so, um, so we can know that. Just leave them there. Uh, there's, an, uh, there's an offering box in the back. Don't forget to leave your offerings. We appreciate it. This is a very generous church. That's another fruit that's evident in this church. It's a very, very generous church. So, yeah, stay after. We have the, uh, the church family meeting today. Uh, let's see. We got uh, the Kingsmen. They'll be meeting Tuesday, October 19th at 6 o'clock here in the foyer. Come for a time of fellowship, Bible study, growing in the Lord, dinner as always. The men always eat well. Uh, It's open to all men of the church, age 16 and above. We love seeing those teenagers in there as well. From the youngest to the oldest, 16 all the way up to 100. We'll take everybody in there. And uh, and it's just always a blessing. I, I really enjoy those meetings. Uh, let's see, women, they're, uh, they've always got something going. They have uh, on the 23rd from 9 o'clock to 11 o'clock, uh, they have the an easy walk at the North Forebay and discussion on lies of our culture. Slip on your tennis shoes, fill your water bottles, grab a friend or two, and meet us at the parking lot at 9.30, Garden Drive at 9 o'clock a.m. That's October 23rd. At 9 o'clock a.m., the entrance fee is covered, uh, so try to carpool if possible. Uh, in case of rain, we'll meet in the church music room for additional information. Talk to Miss Katrina Labendorf. Uh, she seems to be the walking professional here. So walk on over to her if you have any questions. Um, Awana, another fruit of this church, and Awana is blossoming. It's growing week by week. And so uh, we thought we had plenty of volunteers, and we got more kids. So we need more volunteers. And uh, I know in my group, the Sparks group, we're just bursting at the seams there. So even if you could show up from 7 to 7.30 and just listen to kids read their Bible verses, that would be so helpful. I know TNT needs another helper. So please, if you're available Wednesday evenings, come on down. We'll put you to work being a part of the blessing and the fruit of this church. So, yes, be here for Awana Wednesdays 5.45 is when that starts. And invite kids, too. We got, we got more room. We'll take them. Um, so talk to Tim Giordano if you have any questions about that. Um, the Fall Festival, yeah, it was great. It was a great success. And I would like to just kind of thank people who volunteered. Can you raise a hand if you were here at the Fall Festival? 
look at that. Look around you. See how many people from this church showed up to the fall festival. And was it not amazing? Can I get a Yahoo on that? <laughs> Thank you. It was definitely it was a country-themed event, and it was definitely a Yahoo event. Uh, we had a great time. Let's see what else we have here. We have our retired missionaries. Ken and Joanne Warwick are coming to our church on October 31st. So we supported them throughout their ministry, and they're coming to say thank you, share their journey with us, and what their future plans are. They will be speaking to us at the 11 a.m. discipleship time. We are honoring them with a luncheon afterwards. The mission committee hopes to stay, hopes that you will stay and hear them. There will be a card to sign for them at the welcome desk um, after the service today. So please sign the card. It will be in the back and on the 31st. Uh, please stay and hear what they have going on. Uh, let's see. We also have the youth group alive and thriving. They have a trip planned to the Bishop's Pumpkin Farm this Saturday, October 23rd. Should be a good time. They'll be meeting at the church at 2 o'clock p.m. All youth and their families are invited to attend. If you have any questions about that, you can see Pastor Brian. I'm sure he'd be more than happy to field any questions on any of that. And that concludes our announcements this morning. And we are blessed to have so many things going on here. But let us turn to the important thing, to God's word. And as we come here today, we can be expectant. We can expect that God is going to meet us here. Our hearts are open. God's word is going to be preached. Um, and so we expect to hear from God this morning. Just like um, looking on your phones, we'll see the weather today. I'm expecting rain tonight. I'm looking forward to rain tonight, and, and I expect that. Not that the weather's always correct, but we can always count on the fact that God's word will meet us here as, as we seek him. So let's go to Philippians 1. We're going to read 19 through 30. And if you would be so kind and if you are able to stand for the reading of God's word, that would be much appreciated. Philippians 1. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. But that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side by the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, 
you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. You may be seated. Thank you. Let us turn to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we give you thanks. We come before you with great gratitude because we have so much to be thankful for. We thank you for your blessings and your provision for our church. And we're thankful for all who attend and serve and desire to see God glorified through all that we do. And we, and we thank you for the many fruits of this church. We want to lift up our missionary of the month, Ms. Linda Reed, as she serves those who have been incarcerated through her prison ministry at the Ambassadors for Reconciliation Ministry. And we pray that through her efforts that women will hear the gospel and come to know Christ. We also want to lift up the men's ministry, the king's men. Lord, we pray that you would raise up men in our church who want to serve you and their families and their community. We pray for the upcoming men's event, that this will be a time of encouragement for all who attend. And Lord, we pray that you would protect us during this season of drought. May you strengthen the hands of our first responders and those who serve to protect us. We ask for mercy from the fires and from those who are helping to fight them. And Lord, please bring rain. We pray for the teachers in our community both here at Orville Christian School and in all the public schools. This has been a challenging year for many, and we pray that God would grant strength and mercy. We pray for opportunities as a church to encourage those in the education system, and we pray for those Christian teachers within the public school system that they would find opportunities to share their faith. We pray for the lost in Orville. May God grant us boldness to share the gospel with those who are in desperate need to hear it. And may God open the hearts of the lost to receive the message of salvation. We pray for those currently ill, hospitalized, and or are recovering from illnesses, surgeries, or injuries. And we pray for those that are homebound in our church. May they feel connected to us through the online services. May the gospel... So touch us, Lord, that we will become ever more loving and forgiving community, seeking to glorify you, Lord, in all that we do, and working together to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Lord, we pray that you would use this church to ignite spiritual awakening and revival in our land. May the Lord stir our hearts to confess our sins, turn from our wicked ways and idols, and to seek your face more and more. May our church grow in holiness, in unity, in joy, and in sacrificial service for one another. And may the Lord bless the offering this morning. May all the resources of this church be used for your glory and for the blessings of your people, Lord. And we want to lift up uh, Pastor Brian as he brings your word, as he breaks your bread this morning, Lord. Lord, may our hearts be open to your word, and may your word be open to our hearts. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, church, if you could, if you're able, 
please stand? And can it be? Oh, and children are dismissed now. This is the time, yes. Thank you for reminding me, Ethan and Nathan, and all the rest of you kids. Have a great time in Sunday school. And can it be? That's the question. And can it be? Yes, it can. Yes, it can. And for those of us who know the Lord and trusting in him, it is. And can it be? This is not an easy song to sing. Let's do our best, church. It's really hard to sing and play. Let's go for it. Let's just go for this. I trust that this song is going to get you. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Tidy for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love and bled for mercy all immense and free for oh my God it found out me tis mercy all immense and free for oh my God it found out me long my imprisoned spirit lay has found in Thine I diffuse the thickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Amen, church. You guys sounded great.
it's already been said, but good morning, welcome, we're glad that you're here, uh, we are so thankful for this church, um, I just want to echo what, what John mentioned, um, so thankful for all those that helped on Friday night, we had such a wonderful time uh, being with our school family, our church family, um, thank you so much for all the volunteers, uh, for helping the children's ministry and helping the school uh, get all that planned, it was a definitely a village effort to make all that happen so we are so thankful uh, for all of you that were here uh, and that donated candy and I still can't believe we gave away over a hundred pounds of candy um, I, I'm sorry for you parents that had to deal with the aftermath of that when you got home but uh, it's worth it to put a smile on those kids faces when you can just hand them a big handful of candy and go off and have fun so um, thank you church um, I, just a few things of, of announcements, uh, just want a couple things I want to make sure you knew. If you haven't picked up a copy, if, uh, we have a copy of the book, Gentle and Lowly. That's a free copy for any, any, uh, any and all of our church family. Uh, they're on the welcome desk out there. If you haven't picked up your copy, feel free to grab one as, as we leave. Uh, as you're going out to get a cup of coffee, um, you'll, you'll find those books. Feel free to grab one of those. And then, as I started to mention, please come back uh, at 11 for our church family business meeting. We'd love to have all of our... Uh, not just not just members, anybody's invited, but definitely our members we want to have here uh, to as we go over um, just some reports from the, the 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 summer as we've moved now into the fall, just some reports and then things that we're looking forward to um, and just uh, pray for pastor and Carol pastor greg and uh, and Carol as they are returning home this I believe this morning uh, I'm not sure what time they're supposed to be here. They were supposed to be here last night um God had other plans, made uh, things, uh, their, their flight got uh, delayed, and they got stuck in Charlotte over the evening, um, and they had to catch a flight this morning. They had fully intended to be here this morning, but um, they, they, they were detained, so they'll, they were catching a flight today, um, but they weren't going to make it back for church, so, um, but we're, we were glad that he was able to be away. We know that uh, you were supporting him in prayer as he was um, uh, preaching the funeral message for his friend Scott. Uh, and I know they, they will, and I'm sure he will convey the, that gratitude when he is here um, next Sunday. Um, I, and I want to thank you. Um, I want to thank all of you for your support of my family over the past couple of weeks. I appreciate so much all of the prayers and the words of encouragement. I uh, appreciate the financial support that you, that you, uh, that you gave, that you've shown us. Um, and it's, as I saw the outpouring of, of that, it's, uh, it's that reason that Pastor Greg and myself, we emphasize the importance of being connected to a, to a, to a, a local body of believers. Uh, church, we're, we're not meant to go through this Christian journey alone, and we need each other. And so I'm thankful for all of you. Um, we're created for community because there are times when we need, uh, we need community to lift us up, to pray with us, and to weep with us. And I, uh, you guys heard, uh, I believe, one of the Sundays when I was away that I, I communicated, uh, conveyed to Pastor Greg my um, appreciation for you all, and he shared that, that we definitely felt your prayers um, while, um, while we were uh, back in Mississippi. I'm glad to have my dad here this morning. Uh, he's here with us with a couple of my nephews who made their first trip out to California, so we're, uh, I'm glad to have them here, that they've been spending this week, and uh, they'll be flying back home uh, later, later in the week. Um, but and I would just um, like to just ask on, on, on his behalf that you continue to pray, pray for him, pray for all of our family. 
45 years of marriage is a testimony in and of itself. But the entirety of that 45 years of marriage was spent in partnership and ministry. And uh, during the memorial service, it was shared over and over again, the testimony that my mother had of her relationship with Christ. And my brother-in-law, my, my nephew's here, their dad, he, had one, he preached one of the most God-honoring, Christ-glorifying funeral messages I've ever heard. Um, everyone that was present there was brought face-to-face -face with the gospel. And when I found out that I was going to be preaching this Sunday, we thought it was going to be last Sunday, and I was kind of <laughs> time we're together to get things ready because Pastor thought he was going to be gone last week, but thankfully he, it was for both of our sakes that was, their, their service was moved to the, this past week. But uh, when I found out that I was going to be preaching, I realized that I wanted to preach a message that was going to do the same thing, and it was going to present the gospel clearly. You know, whenever my family gets together, um, for whatever reason, you know, when it was holidays or, or, or whatever, um, there was always talk of ministry going on. Um, it's one of the things that I'm most grateful for in my life that we have so many pastors, we have preachers, missionaries, deacons, Sunday school teachers. That's what we have in my, in my family. Um, and that for the 24, now the now 23 people in my immediate family, that means every one of us is worshiping somewhere on Sunday morning. But this past week, um, or during that week when we, I was talking to my brother-in-law, we, we were talking about preaching, and he shared with me a conviction that he had a few years back. And that was he felt the need to preach complicated and impressive sermons. And what he meant by that was he felt like he needed to go to great lengths to show how much he knew, how, much he had, how hard he had studied, how many books he had read, um, and how he understood these deep and rich theological words. And it was a conviction that he had when he shared with me. I realized, that, hey, I, I felt those convictions as well. And, it's, and when I say the conviction, I don't mean that um, we shouldn't read books and that we shouldn't seek to understand these deep theological truths and these terms. But the point of preaching isn't to impress people with how much we know. And it surely isn't to overcomplicate matters and leave people in a state of confusion as they dismiss. The point of preaching is to clearly and simply present the gospel and introduce people to Jesus. Now, certainly there are mysteries that are difficult to understand and comprehend. Just a few weeks ago in my Sunday school class with the youth, we were discussing, as we're going through some basic Christian doctrine, and we discussed the doctrine of the Trinity. Not an easy concept to understand. And, we, and I explained to them in that, in that Sunday school lesson, I said, you, we're not going to understand it fully. We're not capable of understanding it fully. Our finite minds cannot fathom the, the, how the doctrine of the Trinity works. But it's not so with the gospel. The gospel is meant to be simple, it is meant to be clear, it is meant to be direct. And the Apostle Paul, he does a, he does a great job uh, of giving a clear summary of the gospel to his protege, Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, and I like the way it says it in the King James, it says, This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am chief. So this morning, my hope and my prayer is to present to each of you a clear picture of the glorious gospel. I wanted to preach this because my heart was burdened with it this past week. We heard a great testimony of a woman who loved the Lord with all her heart, soul, and mind, who loved her neighbor as herself. But if there was one thing that distressed me, it was the reminder that the time that we have here is short. I've been preaching through uh, the book of Acts with our students on Wednesday nights. And we've been studying the birth of the church. Uh, we saw, and we saw the command that was given 
to all who follow Christ to take the gospel to the end of the earth. We were given a mission to preach the gospel. And that goes for all of us who claim Christ. It's not just for pastors, for elders, for Sunday school teachers, or for missionaries. All disciples of Christ are called to be his witnesses and to testify of the salvation that is found in knowing him. So as we go through our passage this morning, I know that there are likely some people here who have never heard the gospel. There are some here that may have heard it, but have yet to respond to it. And then there are probably many here who have heard it, who have trusted Christ for salvation. Yet maybe you find it hard to communicate it with others. Maybe you want to share the gospel with others, but you're worried that you might not know enough, that you might not be clear in your presentation. Well, hopefully after today, after this morning, you will feel more confident in doing so. And I hope that we all would feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit to be more proactive in sharing the gospel. The purpose of today's message is pretty straightforward. I want to present the gloriousness of the gospel, that it would be clear to all who hear it, and that there would be no misunderstanding as to what the gospel is, that those who do not know Christ might respond to it in salvation, and that those who do know Christ would rejoice in the beauty of what God has done for us. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to encourage you to turn to the book of Romans. You can see we're going to be, if you, if you have your uh, bulletin, you can follow along in our handout this morning. Uh, follow along and take, in the outline and take notes. And you can see that we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. And if there, if there is any book of the Bible that paints a perfect picture of the gospel, it is the book of Romans. It was this book that sparked a faith in Martin Luther that would lead to the Protestant Reformation. Maybe you have had someone share or you have shared someone a, with someone a gospel presentation that included the Romans road. Taking several verses of scripture from the book of Romans to, to share the gospel with somebody. The richness of this book is well documented and its value was made clear by the reformer John Calvin who wrote that when anyone gains knowledge of this epistle, he has an entrance open to him to all the most hidden treasures of scripture. And what I'm going to attempt to do this morning is give a brief exposition of chapter 8 of the book of Romans. Now, Chapter, this chapter, as with almost every chapter in the book of Romans, could be broken up into five, six, seven, eight sermons. Martin Lloyd-Jones, pre- did a, he preached on uh, the book of Romans. He preached it on his Friday night Bible study, and it took him 14 years to go through the book of Romans. And he has a commentary set on this that is based off of those messages. And I was reading some of that as I was going through that. And I was reading his commentary on Romans chapter 8. And you would get to, you'd get to a particular chapter in the commentary, and he would say, it would be like chapter 20, and it would just be one word. And that whole chapter was dedicated to one word. Then you'd turn to the next chapter, one more word. You know, okay, I can see why it took you 14 years to pre- He didn't get to finish either. He, he passed away before um, he was able to finish that Bible study. But, so you could take a long time just to go through even the chapter that we're going to go through. So if you, it, you may think it's difficult to go verse by verse through a passage of Scripture, uh, but it, it, sometimes it can be a lot more difficult to give an overview of a chapter because there's so much in it. Uh, we, we did a lot of that just recently as Pastor was leading us through Judges. You, there would be some chapters that we would hit more of a flyover than by verse by verse. We're going to do the same thing this morning. So 
There's going to be a lot that I don't address this morning that we could. So if you've, ever, if you've heard a sermon through this, this passage, you've probably heard some things that maybe I don't mention. It doesn't mean that I don't think they're important. It's just I'm trying to give a brief, like I said, a flyover view of what this uh, chapter would be, simply just because we don't have time this morning. But I would encourage you to keep reading this chapter throughout the day, throughout the coming week. Dive into the richness of this text. And what I hope you will get from this overview this morning is a better understanding of why. Why do we need the gospel? Why should I believe the gospel? Why should we believe the gospel? Why should we be sharing the gospel? These are questions that maybe you've heard people ask. They may be questions that you have asked. And they may be questions that you are asking right now. Why should I believe the gospel? Well, my prayer is that by the end of this message, you will have an answer to that question. And we'll begin by reading, I'm, we're going to read together the first 11 verses, and we're going to, we're, I'm going to read through all, the, all these verses. Like I said, we're not going to talk about every verse, but we will read through the whole chapter. But I would like to invite you, if you may, if you can, one more time to stand for the reading of God's Word. Make sure it's on the screen. Starting in verse 1, chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. In you. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his eternal, inerrant, and holy word, and may the Holy Spirit write its truth on our hearts. You may be seated. Well, as we get to our first major point and our first answer to the question, why the gospel? I want to point out this outline, it's, it's really no secret, it came straight from my Bible. I didn't, I didn't feel like I needed, when I was reading this passage, I didn't feel like I needed to come up with some sort of fancy outline, some sort of fancy alliteration of words. I just I saw, it, I saw a, 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 an outline in my Bible and I thought, this is perfect. Yours, yours might follow the same pattern. You could probably go in and fill in the blanks before I get there, but I'm just, you can do that. Just don't, don't lose track with where we're at. Um, but I, I felt like this was a great outline for where we're going to be. Uh, the verses may not line up. I thought that maybe some of the verses should be just the, 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 these, these headlines or the, 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 the headings in your, in your Bible, those aren't inspired. Just like the verse numbers aren't inspired, the Word of God is inspired. So um, I may break up some of the verses from the headings that you might have. But um, 
So the first, uh, our first answer to the question why the gospel is, because, is that we see that we have been given life in the Spirit. Verse 1 of chapter 8 has been labeled by many as one of the greatest statements in all of Scripture. I've taught through the book of Romans a couple of times with students, and I've always led off by telling them, hold on till we get to chapter 8. Okay? The, the first seven chapters of the book of Romans, if you just read that and stopped, you would walk away feeling pretty bad about yourself. The truth is you should walk away feeling bad about yourself. That is what the truth of Scripture provides. You should read those passages and come away with that realization. But we don't stop there. Paul spends the first six chapters pointing out how sinful all of mankind truly is. And he points out what the consequences of that sin are. Two of the verses that we use in that Romans Road presentation that I talked about, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, which say all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul lays it out, all have sinned. And then we get to 6.23, which says the wages, the consequence of that sin is death. And then when Paul gets to Romans 7, he really starts working on their understanding of the law. And Paul, having been a Pharisee himself, he knew what it, would, what it was to miss the point of the law. Paul spends chapter 7 showing his readers that the law was incapable of saving them. In fact, it did quite the opposite. The law actually made them guilty. The law showed them how they were unable to keep in line with what God expected of them and that they fell short in every way of giving God the glory that he deserves. And many of them that he's writing to, many of them like Paul once had, thought that their strict adherence to the law is what would make them righteous in God's eyes. Sometimes we feel that way too. We can, and, and sometimes preachers can even communicate that. There, there are people that sit in pews all the time and they feel the same way that they're being told, just, just do what God says and you'll be fine. Do what God says. Obey what God says and you, can, and you will find eternal life. But Paul is saying that you, that is not possible. The law only keeps us bound to our sin. The law only proves us guilty. And so I said, as I said, if we stopped at chapter 7, it would be a sad story indeed. <coughs> Excuse me. But Paul didn't stop at chapter 7, and neither should we. And so as we get to chapter 8, there is a big transition word, and it's a great theological word. It's the word, therefore. Paul writes, there is therefore now no condemnation. The, the therefore infers that there was condemnation in what, was preced, in what preceded this verse, and that is the law. In the law, there was condemnation. In the law, there was guilt. In the law, there was the wrath of God against us. And then we have this turning point where Paul comes flying in off the top rope with essentially what is just a fancy but. He says, but therefore... Just as he did in his letter to the Ephesians when he wrote, You were by nature children of wrath, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. A big part of what makes the good news of the gospel so good is its contrast to the bad news. Paul spends the first half of his letter to the Romans presenting the bad news so that the glory of the good news shines bright. And so while the word, the, while the word gospel, it literally means good news, 
when we talk about sharing the gospel, that means sharing the good news and the bad news. That doesn't mean that you beat people up over their sin. We aren't, we aren't there to pass judgment and condemnation on people that are still under condemnation. If, we, if people that do not know Christ, they are already under the condemnation. They don't need that from us. We are there to preach that there can be no condemnation if they turn their lives over to Christ. There, but there is no presentation of the gospel if, if sin is never mentioned. Otherwise, why would anyone ever need to hear it? Why would anybody need Jesus if they thought that they were just fine without him? So what Paul, or what people, what people need to be made, made aware of is, is of their current predicament. And Paul spends the first half of Romans talking about the sinfulness of man because he knew that they needed to be convinced of it. Because that's what sin does. It blinds us to its own presence in our lives. And so when we're made aware of our sin, and when we see the contrast of what sin brings us versus what Christ offers us, we see why it is truly good news. And so what Paul is doing here in the, first, in the first part of this chapter is he's offering several contrasts as to show how life in the Spirit is better. And the first contrast that we see is pretty obvious. It's, it's where we get the, the title of, the, of this section is that life in the Spirit. And so that if we are living in the Spirit, it means we are not living in the flesh. And so he gives this contrast of what life in the Spirit is like versus what life in the flesh is like. And the, the Spirit versus the flesh is a common theme in Paul's writings, most notably in his letter to the Galatians. Um, he, he contrasts the deeds of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. We see that in Galatians 5 and then Galatians 6, respectively. So when Paul refers to the flesh, what he's referring to, it's what, as uh, Pastor John Piper, he calls it, the ego which feels an emptiness and uses the resources in its own power to try and fill it. Flesh is the I who tries to satisfy me with anything but God's mercy. Paul makes it clear in Romans 8 that living according to the flesh is what brings condemnation. And that a mind that is set on living according to the flesh will only bring about death because it is at odds with God. Verse 7 says, The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God for it does not submit to God's law, indeed, it cannot. So to live in the flesh is to desire to please self and to seek our own glory over God's. To live in the Spirit is to seek God's way and His glory above everything else. These two minds cannot be reconciled. They cannot exist together. So in our justification, that mind is put to death so that we can live in the Spirit. At the moment of our justification, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and we are no longer under the penalty and under the condemnation that our sin brings. We just sang about that. There is now no condemnation. No condemnation do I fear, do I dread. So when we, when we, when we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we are, not, we are no longer under that penalty. Now, of course, in our sanctification, okay, we're talking about two different parts here now. We're in, in our justification, we are no longer under condemnation because that, that part has been put to death. Our flesh, the guilt, is put to death. 
but in our sanctification. This is the working out of our salvation that is ongoing from the moment we, we are justified until we are glorified. And we're going to see that in, a, in a, just a little bit. But in our sanctification, we still have to deal with the desires of our flesh. As Christians, we still sin. So when Paul is proclaiming that we live in the Spirit, he's referring to our position in Christ. When we come to Christ in salvation, we have traded one life for another. The guilt of our sin is removed, and we are granted the righteousness of Christ, so that when we stand before God, He sees not our sin, but He sees Christ. And we are reckoned, we are counted as sinless. this frees us from trying to keep the law unto perfection. Notice I didn't say it frees us from keeping the law. We are still expected to obey God's law, but we are not bound to it by a means of salvation or as a means of salvation. That is the freedom that is found in the gospel. The freedom to now do what pleases God. We now are able to do what pleases God. To orient our minds and our hearts and our actions toward God. That is what the gospel does for us. And that is the contrast that Paul wants us to see here. Is that we are now able to live in the spirit and please God. And seek his glory over over living in the flesh. And trying to please ourselves and seek our own glory. And he showed us that by by seeking our own desires. Seeking and trying to please the flesh. That just leads to death. And it's in this that we see another contrast when we see that it is God is the one who does that. God is the one that gives us that position in Christ. We see this other contrast in this that we are able to know this freedom by faith, not by works. Look back at verses 3 and 4. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. This too is a recurring theme with Paul, that our salvation is not about anything that we can do, but it's about what God has done. In in the passage that I referenced earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, it continues, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This was a key point for Martin Luther as he led the charge against the Catholic Church. The freedom that the gospel provides is freedom from our sin debt, but it is also freedom from the pressure of living up to the law's lofty standards. Paul makes it very clear that the requirement that the law demands was met in Christ. Christ came in the flesh, but his flesh did not have the stain of sin. So he was able to be a perfect sacrifice on our behalf. And so those who are in Christ can have assurance that they are no no longer under condemnation because Christ endured that punishment on our behalf. And by putting our faith in Him, we put down that heavy yoke that the law had put around our neck. And what a glorious truth that we have in the gospel. A truth that when Paul wrote to the Galatians, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. In Galatians 5 verse 1. 
We are free from that yoke and we are free from that uh, guilt because of our faith in Christ. It is not by, based on anything that we have done. And we no longer should submit to that yoke of slavery, which leads to the final contrast in this first section, and is that we now have life, not death. In verse 10, we read, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. The good news of the gospel is that those who are once dead because of sin are made alive because of Christ. And I already mentioned Romans 6.23, which tells us that the wages of sin is death. Death is part of the curse of sin. And because of that, all of us will experience death in this mortal body. The mortality rate for all humanity is still 100%. We all will die. But those who are in Christ will not experience what John referred to over and over again in, his, in the book of Revelation as the second death. Which he described as the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. And it was that warning that Christ gave in Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can, can destroy both soul and body in hell. So we have here in Romans 8 this promise of being saved from such a fate. But in it there also comes the promise of the resurrection. Verse 11 continues with, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Yes, our mortal bodies will experience death. Most of us will experience the grief that comes with death. But we do not grieve as the world does. Which is without hope. As Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. We may grieve, yes. But it is with the hope of the resurrection. That all those who are in Christ will experience. And that is what it means to have life in the spirit. It means there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And there is, this is a reason for shouting. For celebration and for sharing. If someone asks why the gospel. Why should I believe the gospel? We say because without the gospel, there is death, there is wrath, there is condemnation. In the gospel, we have freedom. And we have life. And then we can move to the next point, And that is, in the gospel, we become joint heirs with Christ. We're going to look at verses 12 through 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. 
provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. In this section, Paul, he's, he's, he's continuing in his thought and his discourse about how if we are in Christ, we are able to live according to the Spirit and we're not held, held captive by our sin debt. But he takes it a little further and, to give, and gives us an illustration to highlight what it means to be led by the Spirit, to be in Christ. And Paul has gone through great lengths. He has spared no ink so far in his letter to the Romans to share what mankind is like apart from God. He made it very clear in those first seven chapters of what our life is like apart from God. In chapter 1, he wrote that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. In chapter 2, we have the daunting promise that God will render to each one according to his works. All throughout chapter 3, we have the claim that none is righteous, no, not one. In Romans 4, he starts challenging their understanding of being reconciled to God by saying it was Abraham's faith, not his obedience, that counted him as righteous. And by chapter 5, he shows that all have inherit, we have all inherited from our earthly fathers, going back to Adam, is a sin nature. And then in chapter 6, he shows that our current situation is death that we are dead because of our sin. And finally, chapter 7 was written to show that the law does nothing to save us. Now those verses, those, those chapters, that doesn't sound like the resume of someone who is deserving of grace. Can you imagine an employee going into a boss's office and saying, you know what, I know I'm the worst employee that you have ever had. I haven't done a single thing right since I've got here. And I've actually caused your business to lose money, but I was thinking it was time for a raise and a promotion. <laughs> well, that seems like a, com- a completely insane scenario. Imagine it being the other way around where the boss comes to the employee and says, I know you're the worst employee I've ever had. You haven't done a single thing right since you've got here. And you've cost my business money, but I'm going to give you a raise and a promotion. That is certainly not how it works in the business world. I don't recommend any of you trying to do that if you are, have employees. But that is what Paul is saying that God has done for us. What an amazing act of mercy is shown back in verse 1 by saying that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. To say that we no longer incur the punishment that we deserve. But now Paul is showing us that that mercy turns into grace by showing us what God does give us. And the first thing that we are told that we receive is a holy adoption. Throughout Scripture, adoption has been shown as an act of love, an act of grace, compassion, and an act of intimate relationship. The first adoption recorded in the Bible was that of Moses by Pharaoh's daughter. Esther, after her parents died, was adopted by her cousin Mordecai. And in one of the more touching pictures of adoption, Mephibosheth, the crippled son of Jonathan and sole descendant of Saul, was adopted by David and given all the land that had belonged to his grandfather Saul, and he honored him by having him dine regularly at the king's table in the palace in Jerusalem. And adoption would have been seen in the same light during Paul's day. Author F.F. Bruce writes, In the first century A.D., an adopted son was a son deliberately chosen by his adoptive father to perpetuate his name and inherit his estate. 
He was no whit inferior in status to a son born in the ordinary course of nature and might well enjoy the father's affection more fully and reproduce the father's character more worthily. So when Paul talks about adoption, his original readers would have understood that there is nothing artificial about this relationship. So so should we understand this, that when God chooses us to be His child, there is no second tier, no lower level status that we are given. Despite our sinful natures, despite our minds and our hearts being set against God, God lovingly and graciously elevates us to the status of Son. Beloved, do we truly live in the knowledge and understanding of what God has done for us? Should we not weep with gratitude every morning when we realize that God calls us His child and that we can cry out to Him, Abba, Father. And that phrase signifies an intimate relationship that we now have if we are in Christ. Just as a child would reach out to his father and say, Daddy, pick me up. That dad would reach down, pick up the child, would hold and comfort, provide security. So does our God reach down as we look up and we cry out, Abba. We don't deserve that type of relationship with God. But God in His grace brings it to us. And He doesn't stop there. It's not just there with the adoption, but He also provides us with the assurance that we are His children and promises us a heavenly inheritance. Paul takes the concept of being children of God further by showing that all believers will share an equal part in the same inheritance that is promised to the only natural heir, namely Jesus. And by promising such an inheritance, the Holy Spirit is testifying that we truly are children of God. And this seal of approval allows us to live with the assurance that we are saved, that despite being great sinners, we have faith in a great God. That stamp, that seal that is put on us, it marks us. And so when we come and, he, and Christ, he see, that's, what, that's what it's talking about, being sealed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one. He is our advocate that speaks on our behalf and says, he, we belong to Jesus. We are owed the same thing that Christ is given as the Son of God. We are now elevated to that same status. We have the seal of the Holy Spirit on us. And, then we, and we have that assurance. And it assures us that what, of what awaits us, and that is a heavenly home with our Lord. Yes, Christ came that we might have abundant life, and part of that can be experienced here. But the benefits that we enjoy in this life, that is not the gospel. They may be benefits of the gospel. The joy and the, and the peace that we experience now and the blessings that God may bestow upon us as being His children, those are wonderful and they are testimonies of, of, of being in Christ, but that is, they are not the gospel. The gospel is that Christ died to save sinners and be restored into fellowship with God in His heavenly home. Heaven is our inheritance. But James Montgomery Boyce, he puts it into perspective when he speaks of heaven as one of the lesser items of inheritance. In his commentary, he lists some of the things that are promised to the children of God throughout Scripture. And our heavenly home is one of those. Along with a heavenly banquet. Along with our ruling alongside Christ and being conformed to Christ's likeness. But all of these he refers to as a lesser inheritance. 
Because the greatest inheritance that we receive is God himself. Verse 17 says that we are heirs of God. Which when, we, when, under, when God is understood as the, as the object and not the subject of that phrase, that means that we receive God as an inheritance. And it continues saying that we are co-heirs with Christ. Well, what is Christ's inheritance? In his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, Jesus prays, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Boyce writes, Christ's inheritance is the glory of God. Which means the vision of, participation in, and enjoyment of God himself. And what a glorious promise that we have in Christ that we will share with Him in the enjoyment of being in God's presence. Heaven is no inheritance if God were not there. God is the gospel. So first we saw that the gospel leads to freedom from condemnation. And then it leads to an inheritance with Christ. And this, 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 the, those two things alone should be cause for daily rejoicing and regular sharing with those who do not know Jesus. When we understand what we have been saved from and then what we have been saved to, it should seem natural to want to experience or, or to want others to experience the same freedom. And if we, and then, and if, but if we need further convincing, Paul continues in verses 18 through 31 talking about the future glory that we will receive and that we will enjoy in Christ. So let's look at verses 18 through 27. And Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. At the end of verse 17, and now here in verse 18, Paul mentions suffering. If anyone had the authority to talk about suffering, it was Paul. Before the writing of Romans, he had experienced beatings, imprisonment, being shipwrecked, various other dangers throughout his missionary journeys. And while we may never experience the suffering or the, to the extent that Paul did, it was promised to us by Christ himself. He told his disciples in Matthew 10 that he was sending them out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And then later he says in, in Matthew 10, you will be hated by all, all for my name's sake. 
But even without the suffering that comes from persecution, we all experience that comes from li- we all we all experience the suffering that comes from living in a sinful and broken world. We know the suffering of ailments, the suffering of sickness, the suffering of death. We know the suffering that just comes from this world of natural disasters. We know the suffering that comes from sin. So when Paul wrote this, he wasn't writing about things that would have been foreign to his readers, but his response to that suffering may, be, may, be, may seem foreign to many. But because he understood the gloriousness of the gospel, Paul's view of suffering, he saw it as an unbalanced scale. In verse 18 he said, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, a scale is, a, is a, an appropriate illustration here because the word glory was re- used to refer to the weightiness of something. As that was how people would measure the value of something. And so in other words, the more weight that something had, the more glory it had. So to quote from Boyce again, he says, The future glory laid up for us is so weighty that our present sufferings are as feathers compared to it, and they cannot even begin to move the scales. This can be one of the harder truths for us to live out. When we encounter trials, tribulations, or even minor inconveniences, how do we respond? It's almost like a badge of honor to complain about our suffering. We love to top each other's stories of suffering. Someone shares what's going wrong in their life. Well, well, let me tell you what's going wrong in my life. I can beat that. But how much greater is the testimony of the one who can say, as Paul did in his second letter to Corinth, this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Living with eternity in view helps us to see that anything that we endure in this life is light and momentary. And when we understand that we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, each and every child of God ought to be able to respond when we're asked how we're doing with I'm better than I deserve. Because there is no affliction that we might endure in this mortal flesh that doesn't pale in comparison to what God has promised for us in glory. And Paul illustrates this even further by showing us that creation itself is longing for its redemption. And despite the brokenness of the world, there is a glorious hope. And that the gospel is moving us from groaning to glory. Some of you may remember uh, astronomer Carl Sagan in the 80s on your television set saying, The cosmos is all that is or ever was or ever will be. Such blind arrogance to see the majesty of the universe and miss its creator and think that this world is all that there is. In verses 19 through 25 here that we just read, Paul uses creation to help us understand that there is a greater hope. He is personifying the created world to demonstrate that we will not be left in this broken state. Creation itself, it felt the result of the fall. Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden and the stain of sin was left on all that God had created it as perfect. And Paul says creation is groaning. It is longing for the day to be set free from this bondage of corruption. In the same way we are groaning 
and longing for a day of redemption. We were created with eternity in our hearts. Our bodies remind us all the time that we are broken. Every day we awaken with a new ache that should be a reminder that we are not home yet. Every time that we fall ill should be a reminder that there is better yet to come. And every time we are brought face to face with death should be a reminder that in the gospel there is hope in the resurrection. Christ rose victoriously so that we might say, oh death, where is your sting? And I pray that if you are here this morning and you don't know the joy of that hope, that you could not stare death in the face and say, where is your sting? That you would respond in faith. And if you are assured of that hope, then live in that joy. A joy that is rooted in our final answer of why the gospel, and that that is God's everlasting love. Let us find joy in that. Let's look at this final, these final verses in Romans 8, verses 28 through 38. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all those things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present to come nor powers. nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. A couple of years ago, we were going through the letters of John as our Sunday series. You may remember as we went through uh, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And one of the overarching themes of those letters is that Christians are called to love one another and that we are able to love one another because we are created in the image of God And we share in some of his attributes. And one of those attributes is that God is love. And this is what John wrote about. uh, uh, This is what John wrote about this particular attribute. He said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. 
when we talk about what the gospel is and when we share it with others, we ought to understand the gospel, or we have to understand that the gospel is so much more than God loves you. But it is certainly not less. Because the, the gospel is cemented in his love for his people. And it wasn't because we were so lovable. We've already seen that we weren't. And it's a good thing that the gospel's power is not dependent upon us. Otherwise, we would never have confidence in it. But because of it, because it is of God, we can have confidence. And first, we can have confidence in God's sovereignty. If our salvation was dependent on us, we'd be in big trouble. Not only has Paul shown throughout the book of Romans the extent of man's depravity, the whole point of Scripture, or, or, or not only does the book of Romans testify to that, but the whole of Scripture testifies to that reality. We just spent the past through a few months going through the book of Judges, which highlighted man's sinfulness and our need for a Savior as much as any other book of the Bible could. So what Paul presents here in verses 28 through 30 should, should come as a great relief this passage here has been refer referred to as many, or referred to by many as a golden chain of five links. And we could certainly spend several sermons unpacking what each of these links mean. But for now, I hope that we can take comfort in seeing how God is sovereign through every step of our salvation. From foreknowledge to predestination to effectual calling, to justification, and to glorification. These doctrines flow from eternity to eternity, and we can have confidence because it is God who has done the work. And, we have that, and that confidence continues because if God is the one who procured our salvation, He is the one who secures our salvation. So not only do we have confidence in His sovereignty, but we can also have confidence in His security. This great chapter of Romans finishes with what John MacArthur refers to as a hymn of security. By asking the question, if God is for us, who can be against us? Paul is essentially saying that if anyone were able to rob us of salvation, they would have to be greater than God himself because he is both the giver and sustainer of our salvation. And Paul comes back to his claim that he made back in verse 1. Here in verse 34, by asking the rhetorical question, who is to condemn? Who can condemn? No one. Because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And there is nothing, nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christian, take heart knowing that if you have been saved, He will hold you fast. That wonderful hymn, by Keith and Kristen Getty was played at my mom's memorial service and the lyrics provided a great reminder that God and God alone keeps us within his grasp and nothing could remove it. Consider these words as we prepare to close this message. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. Well, I hope this has provided a clear answer to anyone who would ask the question, why should I believe the gospel?
And I hope it has stirred up joy and gratitude and a passion for sharing it with others. Why should we believe the gospel? Because in it there is no condemnation. There is life and not death. And in it, we have, the rich, we have the hope of riches and glory with Christ, where we receive our reward, which is God himself. And that through Christ and Christ alone, we can have peace of that blessed assurance that, he, that we will be raised with him to endless life. Because he will hold me fast. And that our faith will be turned to sight when he comes at last. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we, we come to you in gratitude of what you have done for us. We thank you, God, that, Lord, that you have provided a means of salvation. Lord, as we recognize how sinful we were, we know that there was nothing that we could have done to earn your favor. But you being rich in mercy, God, you sent your son to pay the penalty that our sin debt incurred. And we thank you, God, Lord, for your son, Jesus Christ, and his death on the cross. And I pray that as we go about the rest of our week, that we would be encouraged, that we would have assurance, Lord, of that salvation, God. That, but I pray, Lord, that if there is anyone here who does not know you as Lord and Savior, who has never responded to the gospel, Lord, I pray that they would not have confidence in this moment and that you would put it in their heart, Lord, to seek out someone who would pray with them or they would turn to your word and they would lift up their hearts to you say, and say, God, forgive me. And I give my life to you. And that they may then rise and have confidence in knowing, Lord, that you hear those prayers. We thank you, Lord, for the gospel. We thank you for its power in our lives. And may we live according to that power, live according to the Spirit. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Brian. As I was listening to the sermon today, I heard that uh, he said a lot about adoption. It reminded me of a song that I learned when I was the first song, one of the first songs I ever learned, I was 11 years old, I wasn't even saved yet, I was with a friend at a choir, and he used to bring me to church, and uh, it just, it said, it said, said, I am adopted, I'm a special kid you see, I'm proud to be a member of the royal family, my father owns the kingdom, and he sits upon his throne, he gives me everything I need, I'm glad to just be known. I didn't even know what I was singing. But we're adopted. We can call each other brothers and sisters. And it's not because of anything we've ever done. It's because of Christ. Uh, this last song is great. I'd ask everybody to stand one more time, please. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Jesus, my Redeemer, there is no more for heaven now to hear.
my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing. All is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. The night is dark, but I am not forsaken. For by my side, the Savior, He will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing. For in my need, his power is displayed. To this I hold, my shepherd will defend me. Through the deepest valley he will lead. Oh, the night has been won. I can overcome, yet not I, but through Christ. fate I dread, I know I am forgiven. The future sure, the price it has been paid. For Jesus fled and suffered for my pardon, and he was raised to overthrow the grave. To this I hold, my sin has been Jesus now and ever is my plea. Oh, the chains are released, I can sing. I am free, yet not I, but through Christ in me. With every breath, I long to follow Jesus. For he has said that he will bring me home. And day by day, I know he will renew me. Until I stand with joy before the throne. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. All the glory evermore to you'll stay and have a cup of coffee with us and then come back in here at 11 for our church family uh, meeting.
And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Go in peace.